You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. How good is the good news? How good is the good news? Well, there's a little bit of insight into that in our text this morning. We're going to read in just a moment, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And Paul begins that section by saying, For this reason. And after he makes that statement, he never gets around to what he wants to say in reference to the reason he just mentioned. In fact, he talks for 13 verses. And then in verse 14, he says, for this reason, again, because he's going to pray for them. He was preparing to pray, but before he could even pray, he spent 13 more verses talking about how good the good news is. He he just can't get over the glories of the gospel. How beautiful it is. How good is the good news? So good that Paul couldn't stop talking about it. How about you? How good is the good news to you? How beautiful is the gospel to you? How amazed by God's grace are you? We're going to be we're going to be encouraged this morning to renew our focus on the beautiful gospel. So turn there with me Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, we are continuing our study, line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm fired up this morning, I'm ready to preach And uh, on his way to his seat, our student pastor, Jared, said, give the word to the herd. So uh, so I'm bringing the word to the herd this morning, all right? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, that has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus Through the gospel. And you say, what's he about to say? For this reason, what? Well, he's not done talking about the gospel yet. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. And then he says again, for this reason, I'm back to what I was about to say, I bow my knees before the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful for this opportunity to gather as a faith family And fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move with power, that we would understand your word and be moved by you to respond to your word so that we can live lives that glorify your great name. We'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Paul, I believe, is getting ready to pray for them in verse 1, but he again gets caught up talking about the gospel, and, and, and he just can't stop talking about that good news. And I want to show you quickly this morning how the gospel is indeed beautiful. And there are four different aspects I want you to see about the gospel. Number one, the gospel is a mystery revealed. The gospel is a mystery revealed. He says there in verse 1, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, just a reminder, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but a Gentile is a person who is not a Jew. And so in in, in the first century, Paul is using the word Gentile to speak of everyone that is not a Jew. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. He says, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery, notice that word mystery. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. So Paul here is speaking of the gospel, the message he was preaching as a mystery. As a mystery. And he wants them to understand that this mystery was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And while it was foreshadowed, the the details of this plan of God, the specifics were not fully revealed until the New Testament preaching of the apostles. I think about the childhood story of Hansel and Gretel. Remember that story? They go out into the woods and they drop breadcrumbs so that they can find their way back home. Well, the Old Testament has all of these different breadcrumbs that that lead us to Jesus. But we don't have the full picture in the Old Testament. There's still a mysterious aspect of how the the redemptive plan of God would unfold through His Messiah. But God intervened in human history after the death and burial and resurrection of Christ to reveal to apostles and prophets the mystery so they could announce it to others. That's, That's what He says there. He says, this mystery, verse 3, was made known to me by revelation. God revealed to me the details of his saving plan for you. It was given to me for you, he says in verse 2. So God revealed to apostles and prophets the mystery so they could announce it to others. And you say, Pastor Wade, what is this mystery specifically? Well, Paul defines it 
there in the next verse, or actually verse 6. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery revealed to Paul and the other apostles and prophets that was given to the Gentiles was this. God has reconciled sinners to himself and brought them into one body, the church. So because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus rose from the dead, that's the gospel, now sinners can draw near to God because his shed blood takes away their sin which separates us from God. And also, when a person who is a Jew is saved... They are now one with a person who is a Gentile is saved. They come together in one body called the church. We talked about this uh, last week. And so Jesus, by his death on the cross, broke down barriers between people and then made these different people one. And so Paul's Paul's, uh, statement here is this. There were some breadcrumbs in the Old Testament. There was foreshadowing in the Old Testament, but now it's clear. Christ has come, the Messiah. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And if you embrace him as your Lord and Savior, you can have a relationship with God and you'll be brought into his church with every other believer, whether Jew or Gentile. You will be one with them. So the gospel is a mystery revealed. We know the the plans and purposes of God in Jesus Christ. But secondly, the gospel is wealth untold. As I was studying this passage, a phrase just leapt off the page into my heart. And it's found there in verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Now look at this phrase. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The gospel is beautiful because it is wealth untold. The word untold means too much or too many to be counted or measured. And and that's the the idea in verse 8. Where Paul says, these riches that are yours in Christ are unsearchable. The, the, The Greek word there translated unsearchable means it's impossible to understand on the basis of careful examination or investigation. No matter how much we study, how much we learn, how much we grow in our knowledge of Christ, there's still more riches to grasp hold of. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Peter O'Brien says the riches of Christ are too vast to explore completely and too deep to fathom. Now I've told you often in this sermon series that the first three chapters of Ephesians are about our wealth in Christ. That's a phrase that comes from J. Sidlow Baxter. In the first three chapters, Paul is explaining to us all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. It speaks of our our wealth, the spiritual riches we have in Jesus. And the Bible sometimes frames our salvation using wealth as a metaphor. For example, in Ephesians 1 verse 7, Paul writes... That our redemption and forgiveness are according to the riches of His grace. Spiritual riches. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, in heaven, unceasing worship and praise, yet for your sake He became poor. He came to this earth, took on human flesh, and endured ridicule and mocking and crucifixion. For your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Not talking about 
physical, material riches. It's talking about our, our spiritual blessings in Christ. And here's what you need to understand. If you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for your sins, that Jesus rose from the grave, if you've embraced him by faith as your personal Lord and Savior, abounding spiritual riches are yours. They belong to you. Let me say it like this. If you have everything but Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have nothing but Jesus, you have everything. All riches are yours in Christ. Spiritual riches. Of course, we know the treasured song of old, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And Paul's point is this, if you know Jesus, you are rich. You are the recipient of riches that are unsearchable, riches and wealth untold. And that's good news. You see, you may not have financial security, but you have forgiveness. You may not have the kind of living situation that you want, but you have a mansion in glory being prepared for you by Jesus himself. You may feel lonely and left out by others, but you have been chosen by God. You may have experienced faltering family relationships, but you are adopted by God himself. You may have been let down by friends, but in Christ you are a friend of God. You may feel overwhelmed by the uncertainties of this life, but for certain you are sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. You may not have prospects of a bright future here on earth, but you have a future home and inheritance in heaven. You may be walking through profound suffering, but in heaven you will experience the eternal glory of God in the face of Christ. And that glory will eclipse any and all suffering that you experience in this life. Here's what I'm trying to get across. If you know Christ, you are rich. Spiritually rich because you've heard and responded to the beautiful gospel. Number three, the gospel is wisdom on display. Look what it says in verse 9. He says, my job was to bring to light for everyone what is the plan. Everyone say plan. The plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. The Bible says here that God's plan of salvation, the gospel, is wisdom on display. Breathtaking wisdom on display. And I want you to see three quick things about this plan. Number one, God's plan is Jesus. Look what it says in verse 11. The Bible says, This, this plan, this working out of this plan 
was according to, e- to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen to me. God's plan A to save ruined sinners like me is Jesus, and there's no plan B. He's the only way to be saved. His plan is Jesus. And this redemptive plan of God was an eternal plan. Look what it says in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he is realizing in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, our God who is all wisdom is not making this up as he goes along. This is his eternal plan from eternity past being perfectly executed and carried out by his grace. The redemptive plan of God was an eternal plan. And this wisdom of God's plan is being celebrated in heaven. Look what it says in verse 10. This is a a remarkable verse. It says, through the church now, the manifold, that's variegated, many-sided wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Here's what that means. The angels are watching The drama of redemption unfold and they are astounded. They can't believe how wise God is in seeing his plans working out through the church. And so think about the wisdom of God needed to save. How can a holy God save sinners while still justly punishing sin? How can God make his enemies his friends? How can God set people free that are in bondage to sin, self and Satan? How can God bring people from vastly different backgrounds together into one family? How can God take people with great animus toward one another and make them one? How can God heal the great divisions that sin has caused in humanity? How can God do all of that? In his wisdom, he sent Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the grave to provide reconciliation with God and reconciliation between people. God is breathtaking wisdom. I love this quote from John Piper. The wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God. That's the cross. But there's a fourth thing I want you to see this morning about the beautiful gospel. I want to spend a little bit more time here. I moved a little bit quickly through those first three. But the gospel is a mystery revealed. The gospel is wealth untold. The gospel is wisdom on display. But number four, the gospel is worthy of our every effort. In other words, if you've been saved, now you have a a calling on your life To share this good news with others. The gospel is the message that you can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is not something you achieve. You, You receive it by faith. It's a free gift of God. But now that you have received it, there's a calling on your life. You see, sharing the gospel is a wonderful responsibility. Look what Paul says in verse 2. He says, I'm assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, Paul is saying, 
that I've been called by God and given the responsibility, that's what the word stewardship means, given the responsibility of sharing this good news. God has placed that stewardship on me. The word stewardship is oiko, uh, monos. It's the word for house manager. A house manager made sure everything was operating in a household correctly. They had that responsibility. And Paul was saying, I have the responsibility of the gospel. And, and notice, it's a wonderful responsibility. Because look what Paul says in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. That's the word for servant. It's actually the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. Of this gospel, I was made a, a, a servant, a minister, according to the gift of God's grace. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't deserve to have this stewardship, to share this message, but God's allowing me to do it. And then look what he says in verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Again, he uses the word grace, unmerited favor. Paul's saying, I don't deserve the stewardship God has given me, but I'm grateful for it. And so, sharing the gospel is a wonderful responsibility. Now, this is not a specific Mother's Day message, but I think there is application here for moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers because the Bible is very, very clear. If you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are now a steward of the gospel. You are now responsible to pass that good news on to others, starting with the next generations. Starting with your kids and your grandkids. And here's what's happening in American Christianity as we speak. Based upon the percentages of, of the different generations and those in the different generations that are followers of Jesus, we see that the, the percentage of Christians is going down with each new generation. Christians are becoming less and less and less with the generations coming behind us, which means, here's what it means. It means that, that the church is not even reaching its kids and its grandkids. Because those who are coming behind us are walking away from Christianity. And not embracing Jesus. And there's all sorts of, of, of reasons for that. And there's a lot we could say about that. We could preach an entire sermon series on that. But here's what I know. We who know Christ have a stewardship to pass that good news on. Amen? Paul was a, an apostle. He got to preach to Jews and Gentiles. But if you're a Christian, you may not be an apostle, but you are a witness. And you're to bear witness to Christ. Sharing the gospel is a wonderful responsibility. You are a steward. But here's the, the truth. Sharing the gospel can bring hardship. Look what Paul says in verse 1. 
For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. You know, you know what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying, because of my preaching of the gospel, I'm in jail. Look what he says in verse 13. I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. So I, I'm, I'm in jail. I'm suffering because I've preached the gospel for you. So that you could hear and be saved. And Paul says, don't don't mourn over my suffering. Rejoice that you've heard the gospel. Paul is saying that sharing the gospel can bring hardship. He was in jail for preaching the gospel. I was studying this this past week and, 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 and read... I was reading about Paul being in prison for preaching the gospel. And one of the, one of the commentators I read made a very good point I never thought about before. He said, all Paul had to do to avoid going to prison, all he had to do was stop saying to the Gentiles, God loves you too. That's all he had to do. He could have continued to preach about Jesus to the Jews, talk about how, how you know, Christianity is the completion of Judaism and all of the, all of the sacrificial systems and, and, and festivals and feasts pointed to Christ. And he could have kept doing that and celebrating Jewish background and culture and, and how it points to Jesus. But when he started preaching to Gentiles, God loves you too. Salvation's available to you too. You can be saved too. You can come to Christ too. People were infuriated. And eventually, he ends up in, in jail. He appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He has an audience with Caesar. But he was in jail because he was preaching the fullness of the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike. Listen to me, Christian. There is a way to avoid persecution. There is a way to avoid discomfort in society. There is a way to experience smooth sailing, and that is just don't talk about Jesus. If you'll do that, life will be a breeze. But then you wouldn't be a faithful steward, would you? Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, he says, all, or 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When you get serious about following Christ, when you get serious about sharing Christ, when you get serious about making much of Christ, there are going to be people, maybe in your family, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your neighborhood, but there are going to be people who do not like it. And Paul's saying, I'm in prison because I told everyone, God loves you. There is a way to avoid hardship, and it's just don't talk about the gospel. But when we do, we can, ex we can expect hardship in this life. People aren't going to like it. But we're called to share it. And, and here's the glorious reality. 
Many will reject your message. But there are some. There are some who will say, oh, I need Jesus. I need a Savior. And they will respond to your message and call on His name. And you can be an instrument in God's hand to lead others to faith in Christ. Sharing the gospel can bring hardship. It did for Paul. But here's the reality. If we want God to radically use our lives, we must be prepared to leave our comfort zones for the gospel. Let me say it again. If we want God to radically use our lives, we must be prepared to leave our comfort zones for the gospel. The gospel is so glorious. The gospel is so beautiful. The gospel is so wonderful that we should put forth every effort to share this message with a lost and dying world. And the gospel is worthy of our every effort. So the question is, How good is the good news? Is it so good that you can't stop talking about it like Paul? Is it so good that you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and experience pushback and discomfort and hardship because you can't stop talking about it? Is the gospel that beautiful in your heart and in your mind? Let me tell you something that I pray, particularly for our young people in this church, our students and college career age. Others as well, young married couples, families. I pray that God will tap some people on the shoulder in this church and say, I want you to leave your comfort zone. And go somewhere else. Maybe to start a church in an area where there's very little gospel work. Or maybe to another country where there are unreached people groups. And I'm calling you to go and leave behind familiar. And leave behind comfort. And leave behind business as usual. And plant your life somewhere for the glory of Christ. I'm praying God will call many missionaries out of this church, many church planters out of this church, because there is a lost and dying world that needs to hear of the gospel. And I'm telling you this, if you respond to God tapping on your shoulder, and if you go, it will be hard, it will be difficult, but the gospel is worthy of your every effort. Amen? And know this, grandparents and parents, it may be your kids God calls. I was a youth minister in Memphis when I was in seminary. And uh, I was preaching to the, to the young people about missions. I mean, just, hey, you need to go. You can go and tell people about Christ. Great commission, you know. Unreached peoples. And, and one of the young ladies in the youth group, her name was Sarah. Sarah took me seriously and started doing some research online and found a summer program in Mongolia. Her parents weren't really part of the church at that point. They were visiting some, but they weren't, they weren't members at that point. And, 
And one Sunday after the service, I saw her parents coming at me fast, making a beeline for me, and they did not look happy. And tears were filling their eyes. They're like, Sarah is going to Mongolia? And they were like blaming me. You know, all that missions talk you do. And we prayed and we walked with them through it. They became dear friends and joined the church. And and she had a great experience. God used her during that summer in Mongolia. But it was hard on mom and dad. It It was hard on her. She went through some trials. But I'm telling you, the gospel is worthy of our every effort. It is a beautiful gospel. So how good is the good news to you? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.